Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org. And now a message from The Rock of Gainesville. What a joy today uh, just to be in the house of God. Don't you love the house of God? There's no place I love more than the house of God. And uh, I am not preaching today, but I got some preach in me, so I'm going to be real quick and get off this stage. Uh, it's a joy for Suzanne and I and our church family today to have with us as a guest to speak into our lives uh, a woman of God. Come on, somebody. Say a woman of God. A woman's going to have the mic. And she's got something to say. It's going to be an encouraging word. And so I'm glad you're here. For those of you watching online, we're glad you're getting to watch. Man, wasn't the beginning of that service powerful? Man, Dana brought it, man, with that word. There's something about speaking the word out loud like you believe it. Not just reading it, but I mean speaking it like you believe it. And uh, I love that declaration she began with today, and it's powerful, and uh, as well as that first song. But it's a joy for us to have uh, one of our very own, Miss uh, Peggy Coker. Dave and Peggy Coker have been a part of us for a really long time. We were all young when they started coming to our church, and now we're all older and wiser. Anyhow, today our guest is Peggy's uh, little, younger, uh, beautiful, anything else? That's, is that good? Uh, anointed uh, sister who is uh, adjunct professor at Christ for the Nations, one of the several Bible colleges I went to, and uh, great school, and her and her husband, Randy, were on staff there uh, full-time for a long time, but uh, Randy went to be with Jesus about five years ago, and Susan is continuing uh, a great work that her and her son, Chad, are involved in, and she can share whatever she wants of that, but uh, it's just a joy to have her. She spoke for our ladies uh, years ago, and years ago, we can't even remember. We don't have enough fingers and toes, but uh, it was great, and it's good to have her back. So would you stand up and give a good, great, warm welcome to Susan Bozarth from Dallas, Texas. Oh my goodness, it has been a while since I have been with you, and it is an honor to be here. I was thinking maybe 20 years and 20 pounds ago, Dean, maybe 20 years and 25 pounds ago. Okay, moving on. It's been a while. I have been friends with your pastor and uh, Suzanne for m- many years. And I remember one thing when Randy and I used to come to Florida and we would always try to hook up and have coffee or lunch. And I remember one thing your pastor said that has always kind of stuck with me is that he didn't feel called just to a church, but he felt called to this city. And you know what? Well done. Good and faithful servants. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to stick it out because there's a lot of hurt and betrayal and decisions that are made that could cause us to pack our bags and flee, which I've had my bags packed for years. Uh, I used to tell Randy, let's just sneak out in the middle of the night. Nobody will miss us. (laughs) They'll never know we're gone. Pastoring in today's uh, culture, if you don't know, it's difficult because there are so many other issues back in the olden days when Randy and I started our first church in 1977. There were issues, but not like there's issues today. So God bless all the pastors. Um, My mom kind of liked you too, Pastor George, and 
but she loved you, Ron. <laughs> just, <laughs> just, <laughs> and my mother, who was a member here many years too, um, she was also one of my greatest supporters. Uh, she used to say, she said to me one day, she'd come out and she was staying with me and she went to my classes with me at Christ for the Nations. I got done teaching and, and we're walking out. And she said, Susan, I, I really... I really like your teaching. She said, you're not all spiritual and everything. <laughs> I said, Mom, shh. <laughs> this is a Bible school. And then she had another good idea. She asked me one time, she said, um, do you think it would be a good idea to give uh, your brothers and sisters one of your teaching tapes for Christmas? I said, Mom, that is the best idea you have ever had. They didn't think it was a great idea, but I told her it was a great idea. <laughs> So this is June 2022. 52 years ago, on a Wednesday night in June, a little skinny Catholic girl, in the midst of experiencing a little bit of the Jesus movement, gave her heart to Jesus. And the adventure of my life, of course, began. And I remember thinking after I gave my heart to Jesus that Wednesday night, my first thought, I was 18, so that's 52 years ago. I'll let you do the math. I thought, my family, they are going to be so stinking excited that I can tell them they don't have to go to hell. Because I was excited about that, that I didn't have to go to hell. And so I went home and I thought, man, they are going to, they're going to say, Susan, thank you. Thank you for telling us the way of life. Well, they didn't. There was five brothers and sisters and my mother at the time, none of them serving the Lord. They were all good moral people, but well, for the most part. Anyway, serving the Lord. My oldest brother uh, used to call me and he would ask me if I was still churching it. So that, that was his understanding, was I still churching it? And then my oldest sister, Joan, who just had a birthday, we've been here celebrating. I tried to talk to her about the fact she didn't have to go to hell. And she said, I'm a Catholic. I'll always be Catholic. You don't have to talk to me about this ever again. Okay. And then the next one in line was my brother, Bob, Bobby. And all he wanted was for me to prove the Bible to him. That was all. That was the only expectation he had for me, prove it. And then there was Peggy. Peggy and I Peggy and I shared, we were closest in age, Peggy and I shared a bedroom, boyfriends, and clothes. I don't think you knew about the boyfriends, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> and I came home because I thought she would be the easiest because we were close. And she looked at me and she said, don't you ever talk to me about that again. Oh, she did. Listen, you guys see, you see one Peggy, I'll give you the story. And of course, her and David are graduates of Christ for the Nation, so. And all of them have given their heart to Jesus, all of them. And so, all of them but my oldest brother who has gone on to heaven, they're all sitting right back here. Family, wave at everybody so they see you. And some nieces and nephews sprinkled among there. So all I can say is, look what the Lord has done. So be encouraged and don't stop believing uh, for your family, for sure. Amen. Okay, so this morning I'm going to share just for a little bit. Where's my clock? Oh, there it is. 
My brothers are worried that I'm going to go over time, so I've got my eye on the clock. Talk to you this morning about hope beyond doubt. Hope beyond doubt. The world we live in today as Christians, Christian faith, it's, it's not a make-believe world or a fantastic fairy tale where there are no questions or never any problems, no emotional trauma, but rather the life you and I live, it is a world of faith with doubt sitting on our shoulder, constantly looking for any opening or any opportunity to pounce with such great force that it would knock us off our feet and derail our journey with the Lord. Many times I believe our doubts are magnified because we listen to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. As Christians, you know this, I'm not telling you anything you don't know this morning, our faith is being attacked on every level. And by the way, let's take a moment and celebrate the Supreme Court that just, that's hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. What a victory. But many, many more battles ahead, as you know. But on every level, the Christian position is probably the only position in today's culture that is not being acceptable in our world today. Every other ideology is not only accepted, but in some ways, absolutely celebrated. I heard a pastor say that you and I must face the fact that many in America could be considered an unreached people group. So the problem, I think, worsens because we feel so inept and our intellectual deficiencies show up and they're highlighted because we sometimes have weak responses and then because we can't respond properly, doubt pursues and we question, do I really believe what I say I believe? But listen, weak and, <clears throat> pardon me, anemic sentiments or you know what platitudes are, <clears throat> pardon me, sayings, they're not going to... They're not going to stand in the face of difficult questions that are going to be thrown at you if they have not already been. I get them all the time. Not just from unbelievers, but from believers. No wonder so many believers are faltering today. In the midst of this disbelieving age, the cultural situations, as I said earlier, we are facing today, Christian values are mocked and ridiculed and it provokes a very serious problem for Christians, and that's where doubt comes in. And many have looked for just a path of least resistance. Or they've looked for a path that's just not going to cause any problems. They want to compromise. I'm going to tell you something. If you compromise your message, you become irrelevant to the kingdom. And so we have to stay relevant. Don't worry about being relevant to the culture. To the culture, we will never be relevant. That should never be our goal. Our goal is to be relevant to the kingdom. And unfortunately, <clears throat> pardon me, I've eaten too much this weekend. I partied every day. <sighs> slept, on, slept in an RV. I went camping against my will. I spent a lot of time with young people. I miss being with old people, so I was glad to get with Pastor George and Suzette. 
I need old people in my life. But I spend a lot of time with young people, certainly at Christ for the Nations, and I speak at a lot of churches with young pastors, and so many of them are trying to find that balance, you know, of how to be acceptable in culture. You don't need to, what? Oh, I thought I was in trouble. <laughs> I thought you had a, you know, like a cane, and you were going to pull me off. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Hush. <clears throat> I told you no heckling, family and friends. I'm seeing, so, let me stop. I see Doug and Katie. Thank you. <laughs> I see somewhere. Oh, there, Carolyn. No, where's Carolyn? Did I see Carolyn and Gary? Where? Oh, there. Okay, there you are. And, and Ron Tom, Thomas. No, Don Thomas back there. Don. Bob Weiner. Oh, my goodness. This is old home week. All right, back to the word. It's been a long time since I've been here, and I have a lot to say. This isn't going to work. <laughs> so, see? See how I bent down? <clears throat> I believe what has been most damaging. <laughs> what happened? Oh! <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you. Here, here. Oh, yeah, can you open it? Come open. <laughs> I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. <laughs> I'm really not high maintenance, I promise you. <laughs> I'm pretty easy. I told Suzanne, I said, my husband would be so proud because I'm so much calmer today than I used to be. And I'm so much more mellow and I'm obedient and submissive. I mean, he would be, I am, I am. <laughs> yeah, well, he'd be proud. <laughs> it only took 50 years, but I'm here, I, I made it. He, he said to me one day, he said, Susan, if you were in charge, there would be blood everywhere. <laughs> well, I just had, I had my opinions. <laughs> and they were usually correct. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I remember, I will get back to this, I, but I remember Randy and I years ago took a, a test. It was called Motivational Gifts. And we had been married probably about 15 years by then. And I kept thinking, what is wrong with him? <laughs> How can he not think like I think and see this situation like I see it? And so we took this motivational gift test. This is when we were pastoring up in Beaches Chapel. And we took the test, and there was gifts like uh, mercy or prophetic and service and those kind of things. So we took the test, grading. And I looked over at his exam <laughs> to get, help him grade it. And his highest motivation was mercy. I mean, I mean at the top. And so I graded his first, and I graded mine. My lowest was mercy. I mean, it wasn't even halfway. It was the lowest. I thought, no wonder we can't see things the same. And so I got nervous that I wasn't merciful. Because the word says to the merciful, I will show myself merciful. So I thought, I better make some corrections here. And I, so I ran out and went out and bought a book, and it was a little tiny book, and the name of it was Mercy. And I pulled it, and I thought, well, this ought to do. <laughs> no, it took getting beat up through years of warfare. Then Mercy develops. You're never going to get it from a book, I can guarantee you that. So I believe what has been most damaging to fellow believers is not the fact that Christians doubt 
but the lack of honesty regarding our own personal struggles with doubt and confused thoughts and emotions or fear and anxiety and anger. We mask it and pretend that all is well when all is not well. And so there are Christians that feel very discouraged in their doubt because they think there's something wrong with me. I can never live up to that standard. Well, they're not living up to that standard either. They just are not honest about it. It's beneficial to have a healthy understanding of doubt because, listen, ready or not, here it comes. Testing and trials come to us all. Our faith, as one author put it, he said this, our faith is radical reliance on God. And may I add, without the benefit of his explanation. Faith is believing in advance what will only make sense when it's past dot, 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 maybe. It's not faith in our faith. It's not faith in our friends or faith in our church or faith even in our Bible knowledge. These are all substitutes and they will come up short if we rely on those in times of struggle, doubt, testing, dark seasons. Listen, doubt is not opposite of faith, unbelief is. Let me say it again. Doubt is not opposite of faith, unbelief is. To believe is to be of one mind. To disbelieve is to be of another mind. But to doubt is somewhere in between. It's kind of a halfway stage, but if you don't check it, doubt can move into unbelief. It could be serious. To too many Christians, faith today is just a boring, joyless affair because there has been this subtle mixing, and sometimes not even subtle, but this subtle mixing of Christian and non-Christian ideas, ideas and ideologies that have slipped into our gatherings. Of course, that's nothing new. It happened in the early church. But people are half-hearted because they're double-minded. People are half-hearted because they're double-minded. You know, one thing I loved about when all my brothers and sisters got saved, they all jumped in full force. There was no, well, let me put my toe in and try it. You know, remember Joan, my sister that said she was always going to be Catholic? She's the most radical among us, isn't she? Most radical among all of us. Don't just put your toe in. Jump in. Because if you're double-minded, you will be, of course, unstable in all your ways. So people want the best of both worlds, but they find the best of neither and they find the worst of each. <laughs> Aren't we a mess? We humans must know what we believe, of course. And then we need to know why we believe it. Have we tested the word in our life? Have we found it to be faithful? Maybe not to your liking, but has it been faithful, his word? I love the worship songs this morning. The word of God, faithfulness, worthiness. We humans, this is my opinion, and it's usually right. I'm kind of kidding. But we humans in many ways have scaled God down to our image. And we have substituted our viewpoint 
of God for God himself. Did you get it? We've substituted our viewpoint of God for God himself. We, we put our God concepts, or in other words, how we think about God. You know, whatever you think. That's, no, that's not right. We put our God concepts, how we think about God. We, we put that over God. And then we use those misguided thoughts as a means to justify what we are doing, or even worse, listen, even worse, making judgments on what he should be doing. Come on, we've all done it. Don't sit there all holy. We've all done it. We, in essence, here's what we do. We take God to court. We take him to court. We have him on the witness stand. And we pummel him with questions we know will probably not be answered. To our satisfaction, anyway. How many of you have ever given God a really good plan? <laughs> I, listen, I don't give God dumb plans. I don't. I have given God so many good plans. <laughs> I give him the plan, the outline, dates, times, numbers. I, he doesn't have to do anything except look at it. <laughs> and it would be blessed. But aren't you glad he didn't take you up on some of those plans? Come on. We create substitutes or idols, and we love our idols because we made them. Is it okay to question God? God doesn't get nervous. You know that, right? He doesn't get nervous by our questions. Questions like the big one. Why? Why? Why not step in? Why not stop it from happening? Why didn't you act sooner? Why don't you make it right? Why don't you prove I was right? <laughs> Why don't you get them, God? Why didn't you just part the cloud? You can do that. Provide just a moment of relief. Why do, why do things seemingly come everything at once? Why? I read an article. I should have written down the author, but I didn't. But I enjoyed his article. And a little excerpt I'm going to read. He said this. It was a young man. He said, not only am I okay asking those why questions, but I think there is something holy and sacred in being courageous enough to ask them. He said, don't be fooled. Those questions are only to be asked by the courageous. It is easy to spout trite Christian platitudes or sayings. It's easy to spout those platitudes designed to make people feel better with bumper sticker theology. But insipid axioms do little in the face of the actual brokenness of the world. Some of you know, some of you don't know, but uh, my, as Pastor said, my husband died five years ago, but when he was only 57, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. He was a big, strong guy like Pastor Ron, tall, handsome, strong, and one day he didn't know who some people were in the church, and then eventually didn't know who I was, and so on and so on. 
And it was difficult. I took care of him for 10 years. And so it was a battle physically, mentally, and emotionally. I'll mention it again in a minute. But in the midst of it, I continued to teach at Christ for the Nations and tried to keep my head above water and be an example in word and deed. Healing was never off the table for me, for him. He got to the point where he did not know who I was. Uh, I think he did, though, because he would look at me and I'd think, okay, he knows I'm, I'm a safe person anyway. But he was a big guy, like I said, and so I limped up here because for years I would have to pick him up if he fell, step on his feet and pull him up. And he didn't know how to get in the car anymore, so I'd have to lift a leg in and then scoot him in so then I got a slip disc. And so it cost me physically as well as emotionally, but I was determined that I was going to fulfill my assignment of our marriage vows in for better or worse, in sickness and in health. But one day I was in between classes at Christ for the Nations and I was, just went downstairs into the lobby because I like talking to the kids and sitting there and a former student who was also on staff there at CFNI now, she came over and she just was, she asked me, she looked and she said, well, how, how are things, you know, with, with Randy? So don't ask me if you don't want to know. <laughs> Can I just say, don't ask me. And I said, that's pretty hard. And she looked at me and she said, oh, it's all good. <laughs> Being the calm person that I am and looking for every opportunity to take advantage of teaching moments because I'm a teacher. And all the students that knew me were sitting around there all going, whoa. <laughs> I said, no, it's not all good. It's not all good. What a stupid thing to say to somebody. When you're going through struggles. I said, it will be all good. But it's not all good right now. The next book I'm going to write, you know what the title is? The Stupid Things Christians Say. I'm serious. Through the years, we have said the stupidest things to people. That's so not all good. If you don't know what to say, let's do what our moms used to say. Don't say anything at all. And my next class after that little scene was my counseling class. <laughs> so I walked up there and all these kids are looking at me. I said, listen, I was just demonstrating the stages of grief. So now you know. <laughs> it's not all good. You know, we say things like, well, when God closes a door... He'll open a window. No, he might shut that window too. You know what I'm saying? I heard T.D. Jake say one time, don't tell people, oh, it's all going to be okay. You don't know if it's all going to be okay or not. Jesus, help us. He goes on, he says, I think it is more courageous to ask the hard questions of God and wait for him to answer than it is to find hope on the side of a coffee mug. Asking those questions requires courage because in the end, it is very likely they will not be answered. And then I'm adding, at least not in our timing or in the way we want him to answer. Look at this text that Matthew has up there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despised of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, 
but on God who raises the dead. Later, Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, a very familiar scripture, talking about my grace is sufficient. In other words, he said when he was weak, that's when the strength of Christ is seen. When, when life becomes too... Have you ever said, I can't take one more thing? What happens? One more thing comes, and what do you do? You take it. In other words, when we can't do it any longer, when we are fed up, worn out, exhausted, when it becomes too much, when we have nothing left, when we feel empty, when it's beyond our capability to deal with it, then in that moment, the strength of Christ, the God of resurrection, will be seen and manifest in our lives. And I'm going to tell you something, I've experienced it and I know many of you have as well. Listen, until we get to the point of utter helplessness, and that so goes against us, doesn't it? You know, we can, I got this, I got this. I know you don't got it. Until we get to that place of utter helplessness and total reliance, we keep thinking we can handle it and take care of the problem. As I said, I took care of Andy for 10 years. One thing I can guarantee you this, the scripture of his grace being sufficient is true. I had people throughout those years who would come to me and say, well, just how long are you going to do this? Take care of him. Like, you know, why don't you put him somewhere? You know, like kind of put him down. They didn't say that, but that's how I received it because I was a broken, messed up person. I hung up on family members when they didn't say what I wanted them to say. But they loved me, so I knew they would forgive me. I was a broken person. And when people would say things like that to me, I'd say, well, I don't know. I guess I'd take care of him until he doesn't know me anymore. That might be, well, I went way past that. And then the big one, well, I guess when he can't go to the bathroom by himself. I know this is personal, but it's just us in here this morning. I guess when he can't, you know, go to the bathroom anymore, I, I don't, I can't, he's too big, I can't handle that. I guess that, that'll be the, the end of it. Well, went way past that one. Because each time the battle raged, the grace came up right up here. Listen, the battles are going to rage and the battles are going to change. But if you will submit to him, each time that battle raises right here, then his grace comes right up to match it and overpower it. His grace is sufficient, which simply means it is enough. What and why we believe is not blind faith. It's not blind faith. There is more substance to why we believe than that. Our faith is not blind. It's just the opposite. Faith is not blind. Faith sees. Think about it. It sees the invisible. Sometimes we can, we can learn to walk in the dark of our circumstances because we're not in the dark about God. Unless each of us wrestles with this truth ourselves, here's what happens. We end up with opinions rather than convictions. And you know, your opinions are changeable, right? It has to be those convictions that are your foundation. So many people have this attitude, I'll try serving the Lord. I'll try tithing. These aren't things you try. These are things you commit to. 
You cannot see the benefit and the fruit of either. I'm yelling. I can't. You, you cannot see the benefit. <laughs> you cannot. You can. I'll, I'll, you cannot see the benefit. <laughs> you cannot see the benefit until you make that commitment. We all have to have that moral compass. You have to have some non-negotiables in your life. Come on, your theology is going to change a little bit. It's going to be tweaked a little bit. End times are going to be tweaked a little bit. You're not sure about women in ministry, but too bad. You're going to go with things and, and struggle. And so you're, there's going to be some things that are tweaked or changed a little bit. But those non-negotiables, and you've got to identify them in your life. And when you get those non-negotiables, those are the foundational principles that will hold you when the winds and waves are coming because they are coming. Ready or not, here they come. But you've got that foundation, that moral compass. No conviction is truly our own unless we are prepared to hold on to it even if the rest of the world is against it. When I got saved back in 1970, I mean, I was alone. My family, they weren't necessarily mean to me, so it wasn't like they ostracized me. But I was alone in my faith, except for a big, tall, skinny guy that actually helped lead me to the Lord and then proposed to me the night I was receiving the Holy Ghost. But, and I did marry him, by the way. But we had a ministry, the little church I was involved in, we would go to New York City. We were in Illinois, load up a Greyhound bus, go to New York City, stay in little French, not French, French, where did that come from? Stay in little Spanish churches and do ministry on the streets. But one of the things we did, we would stand out there, all of us kids, we'd stand out there and then we'd have, somebody had a little guitar and we'd start singing, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. And then this part, no turning back, no turning back. And then for me, the next stanza, if none go with me, still I will follow. If none go with me, still I will follow. If none go with me, Still I will follow, no turning back, no turning back. Those are the decisions. Do you, you know this, we do what we decide to do. Come on, you decide, you'll do it. What, what is left in your life after the storm you have gone through or are going through? When the storm throws you finally up on the shore, what you are still holding on to is yours. Meaning what you have learned in the middle of that trauma and trial, and you're on the beachhead, if you will, and you're still holding on to that foundation, it's yours. No devil in hell can talk you out of it. No devil in hell can take that away from you. It is your foundation. Martin Luther, defending himself before the Roman Empire, closes his appeal with these words. He says, my conscience is taken captive by God's word. I cannot and will not recant anything 
On this I take my stand. I can do no other, so help me God. Clever thinking and a kind heart is not enough. It can come against the strength of your commitment. We are living in a day where commitment to anything is optional. Yes, and relative. I used to put Randy, get him all taken care of and get him in bed. And I had help. I hired help. I was so thankful I could do that. I'd go outside, and I had two chairs. I called them my crying chairs. <laughs> and I would sit out there. And my focus always was his healing and or my escape. <laughs> it's us. I'm telling you the truth. I would crawl in the hospital bed with him sometimes and hold on and say, okay, now, Jesus, <laughs> take us now <laughs> together. Just <laughs> Because it was hard what I did for 10 years. It was hard. And I went outside and I was talking to Jesus. And I said, Lord, I, I am committed that I'm going to take care of my husband the rest of his life. That was settled. But here's the next thing, Pastor, that came out of my mouth. And I said, Lord, and if I do nothing else the rest of my life, but brush his teeth and comb his hair and change his pants and put lotion on his feet. I'm good. You talk about freedom to make a commitment with no benefit to you except the commitment. Nothing changed in my circumstances, but I changed. Because I had made, I didn't have to travel. I didn't have to go anyplace. If I didn't ever speak again, and none of it mattered. If my assignment for the rest of my life was to brush his teeth, so be it. I'm good. It's tough out there. People go through difficulties. What happens to our faith? It seems that people don't so much lose their faith. I'm going to hurry. Do not lose their faith as much as we don't use it. And if this is going to be deep, you can even, you can tweet this. It's a good tweetable thing. You ready? If we don't put our faith to use, it will become useless. Wow. Go ahead, use it. I don't care. This is how doubt works. Little by little, choice by choice, thought by thought, emotion by emotion, challenge by challenge, disappointment by disappointment, disillusionment by disillusionment. In other words, life. Faith is not torn up in one big rip. It becomes frayed at the corners, little by little by little, and you start questioning everything. It's not hit with a lightning bolt, but it wears out through seamless, seemingly, seemingly night of unending battle. We find ourselves crying out often like David. Uh, How long, O oh Lord? Will you forget me like ever? I would go in my living room and, and yell at God. What's up with this? This is how our story ends, really? We gave our life to you as kids? Started our first church out of Milrose when we were in our 20s? Gave our life to people and really, God? This is how it ends. He didn't answer. 
He didn't send a lightning bolt. I just felt a calm peace. Even after I I threw my little tantrum. Just this calm peace. I got you. I got you. Everyone has doubts. It's not that Christians have doubts and everyone else walks around in certainty. But our doubts are in the context of Christian faith, and that makes it more challenging. Because we assume we should know how to handle these issues, don't we? Listen, the devil is not after your stuff. He's after your faith. I love this scripture. I remember when I first read it, I thought, wow. Luke chapter 22. I'm sorry, Matthew, I didn't give you this one. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. And the Lord said, speaking to Peter, he knew he was in trouble because he said Simon, Simon twice. But he said, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. But here's what I, when I read it, I thought, well, if it's all the same to you, Jesus, I would have preferred that you prayed I wouldn't be sifted. I mean, is that my music that I'm done? <laughs> Am I done or do I sing a special? I don't know. I already sang a special. I would have preferred that I wouldn't have been sifted. Doubts and fears and confusion and sifting sifting comes to everybody at some point. Life humbles you as you age. Things once so important have such little appeal. You walk through your own valley, you can come out meaner or merciful, you choose. It's not, it's not our giftedness that qualifies us, it's our scars. You want somebody to relate to you, you want to help somebody show them your scars. The first first thing Jesus did after his resurrection, he went back to the disciples, what did he show them? Scars. Two phrases that helped me walk through some of this season of doubt and sifting. I picked Randy up from an adult daycare that I was able to take him to for a little bit and I was walking out, I'm hurrying, walking out and there was an older gentleman walking out with his wife too and he was, they were elderly, we were just old, they were elderly. And I'm helping Randy get in the car and and this little old guy looks over at me and he said, it's kind of hard, isn't it? I said, oh man, it really is. And then he looked at me and he said, well, you just do the next thing next. Suzanne, I got in the car after I got Randy and I sat there and I thought, Jesus, I mean, because people had been praying and I get script. Jesus, you just spoke to me through that little old man. Because the anxiety of what was way out there. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to do the next thing next, which is just get him out of the car. You know, it just, it just gave me a whole brand new understanding on how to walk through valleys and challenges. Listen, in closing, and I mean it this time. Trials are not forever. Your trust is not in vain. And God never fails. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. I'm going to...
I'm, I'm going to turn it back over to, to Pastor Ron or whoever in just a moment. But I just, if you are struggling, <laughs> that's, not, that's so generic because everybody struggles. But if you specifically ha- have been challenged with loss of hope and doubt is perhaps really attacking your brain and you question your belief system and you question whether you believed wrong all these years. Listen, I, I understand all those devils. We all hear voices. Sometimes I'll ask the students, how many of you hear voices? And they all go, I said, we all hear voices. Voices like, you're such a loser. You've been deceived, whatever. If you, if you just want me to just to pray, I'm going to pray for everybody, but specifically, if you need hope restored in some area of your relationship with the Lord, dealing with a, a challenge in your family, business, home, whatever the case may be, just raise your hand and I'm just going to pray a corporate prayer. Thank you, you guys. Okay. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Father, I just thank you, Lord. You see the hearts of those that have responded. And I know many others that maybe they don't think their situation is that difficult that they needed to respond. But in their quiet times, Lord, I know what it's like to say, God, where are you? Do you even love me anymore? Do you see me? Can you hear me? Lord, I just pray a supernatural grace, even today, just to be dropped into their spirit. That they be able, they would be able to stand up, head back, shoulders back, a newfound hope, a newfound courage. That you indeed, Lord, will walk them through your plan, your established plan for our lives. And we trust you. And we trust you and you do not have to explain yourselves to us. We trust you. You are the God of the universe. And we trust you with our very lives. So, Father, I bless these men and women of God. I thank you that today breathe on them fresh wind. Breathe on them fresh hope and determination, decisions to continue to press on in the things of God. I I bless them now. Bless this house. Bless the pastors. Bless the team here. Thank you for a renewed strength and vision. Productivity beyond their imagination. Bless them now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org.